Hey everybody, welcome to Coach's Corner. I love this episode because we address one of my biggest pet peeves in the personal development industry, which is toxic positivity. And we have the author of that book, Toxic Positivity, joining me today for this episode of Coach's Corner. But what it is, is this dismissive way of pep-talking people. And this is something I wrote about in Expectation Hangover. This is something I talked about in episodes I've done about the dangers of personal development, of this kind of expectation of, well, you just need to find the silver lining in things, and you just need to think positively, and any negative thoughts you're going to have are going to manifest. I mean, that's been something that has been said to me so many times in my pregnancy when I've spoke about some of my fears about pregnancy or about birth or any of it. It's like, no, 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 don't say that because you don't want to manifest it. I'm like, what? No, that's not the way it works. Like speaking my fears out is part of how I move through them and part of like how I'm human. And I'm not going to sit in them and I'm not going to obsess about them, but I, I need an outlet for them. And so this expectation that you know, we're supposed to be positive all the time. We can't say anything because words create our reality. And okay, there's some truth to that, but when it comes to manifesting, there's so many other things involved. Our own karma, our emotions, our subconscious, the energy we're putting it out. So this whole like think positive, only say positive things can really be toxic because it is dismissive. And we dive into that so much more in this episode. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Whitney Goodman is the radically honest psychotherapist behind the popular Instagram account, Sit With Wit, and the owner of the Collaborative Counseling Center, a private therapy practice in Miami. She helps individuals and couples heal past wounds and create the life that they've always wanted. In Toxic Positivity, her book, Whitney offers a powerful guide to owning our emotions, even the difficult ones, in order to show up authentically in the world. Before we dive in, I want to thank my sponsor, Organifi. Love Organifi. You know you can get 20% off all Organifi products at Organifi.com slash over it. If you're looking for quick ways to add more nutrition to your diet, their green juice, their red juice are great things to throw in your smoothie or just drink alone. I'm loving their gold, which is their turmeric mix. It's awesome to heat up and mix with some coconut milk. Great for inflammation. Turmeric's just a superfood, in my opinion. And so many other great stuff. Their immunity packets, all kinds of good stuff. So go to Organifi, O R G A N I F I dot com slash over it for 20% off all your orders. And now on to my conversation with Whitney Goodman. Whitney, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'd like to start out. I don't ask too many people their you know, origin story, how did you get to where you got to, but I think that being a psychotherapist is a calling. Like There's probably something in your life that made you go, this is the route I really want to pursue. Would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah. I think from a young age, my parents would probably always say I was trying to be like the parent or give the advice advice. I'm the oldest child. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely had a predisposition for fixing and, and things like that, that I loved learning about why humans do what they do and kind of what makes us tick. And I also love talking to people. So once I uh, was graduating with a bachelor's in sociology and gender studies, which I realized no one will hire you with, I started looking um, <laughs> into graduate programs. And when I found a lot of these, you know, 
therapy and master's programs, I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to do. And I became a therapist at like 24. So it's really the only career I've ever had, the only thing I've ever done. And and I love it. I agree. I can't see myself doing anything else. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. And you have a book uh, that I love the name of, Toxic Positivity, Keeping It Real in a world obsessed with being happy. And I love this for so many reasons. One, when someone tells me they just want to be happy, I'm like, well, so do you only want to live like five to 10% of the time? (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. if you only want to be, it's not a sustainable state. I think content, acceptance, those things, but this expectation that we should just be happy all the time, it would really mute those moments of happiness of like really being able to feel that joy. So there's that unrealistic expectation to be happy all the time. And then there's also this just amazing pressure, I think, especially in the personal development, self-help, even motivational community of, you know, find the silver lining, everything happens for a reason, and like get to the positive of something when you're really, the human parts of you just wants to grieve or wants to be sad or wants to be angry about what's really happening. So that's kind of my take on toxic positivity, but I'd love to hear how you define it and what inspired you to write a book about it. Yeah, I define toxic positivity as the unrelenting pressure to be happy or be pursuing happiness and positivity at all costs, no matter what the circumstances. And this is really a cultural force that I think is something we can use against ourselves and other people. I wanted to write this book mainly because I saw this all over social media and Mm. I had seen some people kind of attack it from different perspectives over the years, but I felt like as a therapist, I had this really unique view into what this was doing to our relationships and how it was making us feel mentally. And the more I talked about it, the more I noticed there was this really polarizing response, especially to the phrase toxic positivity. And I think when that happens, to me, it's like, all right, this is something we really need to keep talking about. Mm. And why, why is it so damaging? So toxic positivity is damaging for a couple of reasons. The, the first thing that we notice, like I mentioned, is that it really makes our relationships less close and it makes us feel more isolated. And this Mm. is mainly because if I feel like I'm the only one struggling, no one else is dealing with this, or I get dismissed when I talk about it and I'm told to look on the bright side, I'm just going to kind of silo myself and not share with other people and not talk about it because why would I, you know, if, Mm -hmm. if I'm going to get dismissed. The other thing that we see is it forces us to suppress our emotions and There's been a lot of new literature that when we try to cover up any type of feeling or make it smaller, we end up just intensifying that emotion and it comes out in other ways, whether it's disrupting our sleep, our eating, you know, our physical bodies, et cetera. And then the last way we see this show up is that toxic positivity has really become a cultural force. I think that tries to keep certain systems alive and in place. You know, we see a lot of these types of responses to racism or um, ableism or sexism. Mm. And we're trying to really like shut people down when they're voicing legitimate real complaints. Mm. Well, and let's, let's unpack it a little more. Cause I think people, they hear toxic positivity and they probably know what that is, but can you give us some 
example. So people know, oh my gosh, I'm having toxic positivity thrown at me or I'm doing it to myself because I think Mm -hmm. it can, people can say it to us or we can feel the pressure from social media or we can do it with our own mind. So can you give us some examples of how it looks and sounds? Yeah. So a lot of this depends on the situation, right? The timing, the audience, the topic, but some of these key offenders are everything happens for a reason. Time heals all wounds. Mm. You know, there's a lesson in everything. Just look on the bright side, a lot focused around gratitude. So be grateful. It's not X or at least it wasn't this. Mm -hmm. That's one of my biggest pet peeves when I was going through a loss about a year ago, I had many of those things said to me. Yeah, It made me withdraw. It really made me isolate from my community because I felt like, especially maybe because I'm a coach and because I'm in this world, there's almost an expectation that I'm supposed to just jump to it's all working out. And, you know, I understand the spiritual lessons and all of that. Like I felt like I couldn't have my grief. Like I had to just skip to the happy part. And I knew for my own mental health, if I didn't go through my grieving process, that was going to cause more damage. But I felt like I I couldn't exactly. I couldn't go to too many people because there was too much pep talking, too much trying to make me feel better with words that weren't making me feel better. Mm-hmm. And so I know what you mean about the isolating because we can almost feel shame for having our feelings when a lot of toxic positivity is thrown at us. It's so true. I think shame is one of the biggest things that we feel when toxic positivity is being used. It's this feeling of like, you're telling me that I should be feeling this, but I'm feeling this other feeling that's so far over here. Mm -hmm. And in that gap of like where I'm at compared to where people think I need to be or where I think I need to be is where shame kind of bubbles up. And it's this feeling of like, why can't I just be like everybody else or how they want me to be? When in reality, I think all of us are feeling this in some way, even the people that are using these phrases against other people. Yeah. And so what are some ways that we can respond to that when it comes at us? So the first thing I think you want to do is decide, you know, is this a person that I want to teach how to treat me or is this somebody that I kind of just want to say thanks and move on? Mm -hmm. And we get in those situations, of course, where it's not worth it. With the people close to you, I find that it's really important to validate that they're trying to help you so that the other person isn't on the defensive and saying something like, I know you're really trying to be there for me or you're trying to help me. And what you're saying really isn't helpful. I would love if you could do this instead and offering them suggestions of what would be helpful for you. Mm, I think that's so important because we do teach people how to treat us. And yeah, we have to put them in a category. Is this someone that I want in my inner circle and I want to put the effort of communication in so that they know how to treat me and I'm not consistently disappointed? Or do I just say, thank you, let it go in one area, out the other and and move on. And that's been so important for me in my closest relationships, especially as I prepare for birth. I you know, been talking to my doula and my husband. I'm like, here's the things to not say to me. <laughs> here's the like pep talky things that are just going to piss me off. Like, don't tell me to relax. Don't, t- you know, I have like this list of this, this won't work. And I love taking responsibility for that because I know me best. And I think that's something we all have to keep in mind is that even when people are throwing 
toxic positivity, you are saying the wrong things. It's not because they don't care and it's not because they don't love you. Well, sometimes it is, but for the people closest to you, what I have found, and I'd love you to speak to this, is people feel uncomfortable with other people's discomfort, like seeing somebody else sad or really struggling. And they just, they often just don't know what to say. So for someone out there who may be listening, who just kind of gets uncomfortable around other people's emotions or doesn't know what to say when someone's struggling and often goes to the positivity because they think that's the right thing to do, what tips do you have for them to become a little more empathic and withdraw from that, you know, kind of dismissive pep talk stuff? When you feel that feeling or that urge coming over you, I think you have to validate that it's it's hard to be with people who are in pain and tell yourself, it's not my job to fix this. It's my job to be there. You know, of course, there are situations where it might be our job to fix it, but most of the time it's our job just to be in it with them. And then from there, I recommend either going to validation or seeking understanding. And validation might be, I hear you. That sounds really hard. I'm going to be here with you through this, trying to really make the person feel like what they're feeling is real and you're with them in it. Seeking understanding might mean asking questions or trying to really hone in on what the experience is like for that person. So asking them, what are you struggling with? What's the hardest part? What do you wish was different? You know, and just trying to, again, use questions as a way to allow them to speak. Mm -hmm. And anybody who's in therapy, you probably notice that your therapist does this more often than giving you advice or platitudes. It's more of that like targeted questioning to get you to get to the place where you feel better on your own. Mm, Yeah. It's so important. I think And I think I know from my own personal experience that just being witnessed, just being validated, just I hear you, like your feelings are really valid and real. I just talked to my best friend on my drive this morning because I was upset about something and she she didn't say much and that's all I needed. <laughs> I just really needed mm-hmm. someone to listen to me. And she didn't say, oh, this will all get better when the baby's here or oh, da, da, da. you know, there was no dismissing because again, well-meaning intentions, but it can feel really dismissive. So... On the other side of this, how do we, because there's, okay, there's a toxic positivity and there's a dismissiveness, but then there's also enabling people in a little of their victimhood and their stories and their pity parties. So where's the line between, okay, let me be empathetic with this person and really hear them, but I don't also want to indulge them too much in their story and being a victim and enabling. Does that question make sense? Yeah. I think a lot of people here take on a little bit too much personal responsibility on trying to do that for the other person when really all we can control is how we show up. And that's where boundaries, I think, really come in. And so if you feel like you can't be empathetic for this person, you can't be there for them, or that you feel like you're contributing something negative, you know, to stopping this person from going to therapy or to doing doing something that might be beneficial to them it might be time for you to say, I can really tell that you're struggling with this. And I don't think that I'm the best person to help you. Mm. You know, I'm having trouble sitting with you in this. I'm having trouble not trying to fix it. Or I just don't have the skill set. Some of us try to be like armchair clinicians Mm -hmm. or 
whatever it is, when we're kind of stopping people sometimes from getting access to the resources that they really need when we do that. And so instead of trying to come up with a treatment plan or tell them what they should do, sometimes just saying, I I don't know if I can help you, pushes them in that direction without you having to exert as much control or effort. Yeah. And without you having to name, hey, you're really in victim or you're really like not, you're telling the story too much. So taking responsibility for, I don't have the skill set. I'd really love to support you. And I think there might be somebody better. I love that. That's a great, a great tip. I want to shift gears to, to parenting and family dynamics because, you know, raising kids, <laughs> I'm about to go on the journey. I know you're in that journey as well. We're both kind of new in it. Yeah. You know, we want to make sure our kids have a good attitude about things and and definitely I'd rather my child see life kind of as half full versus half empty. But how do we make sure that we're not setting up in our parenting toxic positivity? When kids come into the world or even before they're born, we use we hear all this language of people saying, I just want my kid to be happy. Um, I just want you to be happy when they're here. And there's this over focus and sort of obsession with kids being happy. And I think this is what kind of actually sets them up for failure is that we over-prioritize that one emotion and leave everything else out. And so it can kind of feel like anything that's getting in the way of that, we need to eliminate or get over. The reality is, is that kids' lives are very small. Their worlds are very small. And so the things that seem very big to them might feel small to us. And I think we can validate kids while also teaching them resilience and teaching them that the world isn't always fair or kind, but also being in their corner and and really highlighting for them that you're going to feel a lot of different emotions and they all have value and utility and they all mean something and we don't need to be afraid of those emotions. Mm, mm. So let's say like a kid, someone's raising a tween and there's there's mean girl, mean boy clicks, some kind of bullying going on for their kid. What's that? How would you parent them in a way that like really validates their feelings, but also doesn't make them think that all people are mean, you know? Like I know for me, I had a lot of mean girl stuff and I just, it took me decades to heal my sister wound, to really heal that, like to to trust women, to have women friends again, because I just formed the belief, the limiting belief of, you know, girls don't like me. I can't trust girls. Girls are out to get each other, all that kind of stuff. So in parenting, how do we put the positivity in without it being toxic? The first thing you want to do is really listen before giving any advice, especially with a kid that age of trying to understand what it feels like for them, making them feel less alone, validating. I mean, I think any woman that's gone through middle school or those years can remember how hard it was. I know Mm -hmm. I do. And so trying to really put yourself back in that place that when you're that age going through that, it feels like it will never end. And someone telling you that it's going to is very hard to grasp. Mm. I think it's really important that we allow kids to experience things and create memories like through those experiences that contradict maybe some of those negative beliefs that they have about themselves. So allowing them to have a positive relationship with you, with a parent, a cousin, aunt, 
Um, there's other ways to develop female friendships that I think can have a solid base and really just become a life raft through this hard time rather than telling our kids, you know, it's going to get better. You won't remember this. You just have to get through it. A lot of that positivity, I think, can make, especially teenagers, feel like you don't understand me. You don't know what this is like. And I'm not going to come to you anymore Mm. because you're not giving me the space to share how important this is to me. Mm. So really saying to them, I hear you. I can tell this is, I can tell how important this is to you and, and really just listening to them rather than saying anything to try to quote unquote, make them feel better. Exactly. And, and typically once you've created that space and you let them move through that, they often feel a little bit better on the other side. What kids want to realize is that they're not alone in their struggle. That's what's scary for them. It's not necessarily the struggle. And I think adults feel this way too, that Mm -hmm. when we're going through those really hard moments in our life, we don't necessarily want to know that it's going to get better. Like, sure we do, but we know that it might not. We just want to know that we're not going to be alone if it doesn't get better and that we're not going to be alone in our pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all just want to feel seen and heard <laughs> more than we want solutions. It's so true. And I, I try to remind myself of that both with people in my life that I love and it, I know it will be one of my challenges as a parent, because we don't like to see people we love struggle. I mean, just the other day, my husband was sharing something with me. It was really hard for him to share and a lot of vulnerability and a lot of shame. It wasn't anything between us. It was something in his own world. And I just, you know, I started crying too. And I could just feel that part of me that wanted to make it better for him. And I just had to remind myself that's one, that's not my job. Two, I can't. And three, that will disempower him. And so I just had to stay in that, just be with the suffering. I'm always reminded of the word compassion. Co means with, passion means suffering. So just being with that suffering and being able to hold that space and not trying to fix. And I feel that's one of the hardest jobs parents have is to walk that line between wanting to save your kids and wanting to make their life easier, but also letting them fall on their face sometimes and letting them struggle and being there, you know, obviously being there and supporting them, but not rushing in to save them. And have you found in your practice that that's, that's a hard line for parents to walk sometimes to resist that urge to go in and fix and save? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I I think that's actually the root cause of why we use toxic positivity or why we see it is because We just want to make it better for them and also for us because we feel uncomfortable and we don't want to watch that struggle. And it's a really fine line, you know, depending on your child and their abilities and their developmental age that we have to figure out, I think, minute by minute, it feels like for me, you know, and I'm Mm -hmm. a new parent, (laughs) how much you're going to intervene and, and how much you have to kind of let your kid get through it on their own with you there, of course. Yeah. Because how can going in and rescuing your kid too much actually cause damage? It really can cause them to feel incompetent and to not develop the skills. So if you're constantly jumping in and saving someone, eventually over time, they're going to see, wow, I really can't do this. My parent has to do it for me. And they then become quite reliant on that and maybe even resentful of the help. And then you find, you know, young adults who really don't have the skills to navigate adulthood because 
they've never had to. And the worst thing is when then a parent after that is like, gosh, my kid can't do anything and sort of shames the child for not having the skill set when really it was never allowed to develop. Yeah. I've seen that a lot in my own practice that kids miss out on certain developmental stages where they really learn autonomy, they learn their identity. And they're like, but I had great parents. And I ask, I'm like, well, how involved were your parents in your life? You know, and I get, well, they protected me for everything. They they helped me with this. And when this happened, they did it. And, and I get from that, okay, very loving parents. I get that. And didn't really let you struggle. And so you never got to really learn how to get through struggle. And I think that's an important thing that we all need to learn developmentally is that we can figure things out. We can find solutions. Otherwise that can set us up for codependence and troublemaking decisions and all kinds of, you know, for lack of a better word, kind of developmental delays that we face in adulthood. And I've seen so many adults just beating themselves up of like, why can't I make a decision? And a lot of it comes from not having that autonomy and decision-making ability in childhood because they had parents who had good intentions, but just were so worried about their kid being hurt that they'd never let them kind of get hurt. And so oftentimes, you know, they get hurt for the first time in adulthood and have no tools and no kind of resilience reference to, to deal with it. So I'm like you very new in the parenting journey. And it's easy for me to sit here and be like, this is what you need to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I know when it's my own kid, I'll be like, but just this one time I'm going to rescue her. And for all of us as parents, we just have to remember like these, these little beans are on their own journey. And we have to get out of the way as much as possible so they can they can figure out, you know, their own self-soothing and their own problem-solving skills. But I agree with you. It's a it's a delicate balance of knowing when to come in and and when to let them, you know, figure it out for themselves. And I'm just curious, any advice you give your clients or community of how to discern, especially as a parent or as a spouse or anyone we're in relationship with, how to discern like when do I go in and help? And when do I pull back and let the person find their way? Right. There's a psychologist I follow on Instagram, Dr. Becky, that always talks about that your number one job as a parent is to keep your child safe. And so I think when safety comes into question, when it's with kids, we have to think Mm. about like, are they in danger? Is there a threat? Those are times where you do need to step in and help them. And also thinking about where's my kid at in their development? Do they have the skills to navigate this on their own or can I help with some of it? I think it gets tricky when we think about adults, partners, friends. This is where sometimes we really have to bite our tongue and step back and be like, this is not my job to fix this. And they do have the skills or the ability to learn if I give them the space to do this. Mm, I I love that distinguishing factor of safety because that's a really good kind of black and white. (laughs) All right. If it's a safety related, this is when you jump in. And if it's not, that's where be there, obviously be there, but see how far they can get on their own. Maybe we'll talk again in 10 years and we'll be like, okay, now that we have a little more (laughs) experience under our belt, we can speak to this more. Exactly. I want to shift gears to the work environment because- I, you know, I used to do a lot of corporate speaking and a lot of corporate consulting and I'd go in and culture was a big thing. And there was like so much emphasis on positivity in culture. And, you know, there was music playing, everybody was smiling and like everyone just seemed just to love working there. 
how can that kind of cultural pressure to just like be happy and be positive and be psyched, you know, to work for this company and committed to the mission, how can that be detrimental in the work environment? What we see when that happens is that there can be a lot of silencing of real issues. I have seen through my research and my own clinical work that there are a lot of companies that have a great workspace and a lot of those perks that you're talking about, but the workload is not evenly distributed or the pay isn't fair or there's racism or sexism and people are silenced and encouraged not to bring up those issues in the name of really a positive work culture or, a, you know, the company culture. And we find that the workplace then becomes quite stagnant creatively. Um, teams don't grow. People don't improve because there is no discussion of the more negative or dark sides of what is happening in the office. Mm. And if you are working with, let's say, a boss who is kind of more of that everything's great, positivity, stay positive, like that kind of ethos, and you have an issue, like you have a problem, but it's not really in the culture to bring that, how how can you cross that bridge? Like, How would you initiate that kind of conversation with someone who tends to maybe shut down or expect only good news? Whenever you're bringing up a complaint like that, it's important first to identify exactly what you're complaining about. What are the facts, especially in the workplace? I think coming in with a very clear picture of what's going on and what the effects are, and then looking at what do I want to happen here? So is there a specific change that you would like to see? Do you have ideas or solutions? And then thinking about who can really make that happen. You know, are you always complaining to your coworker instead of the person who actually has the power to do something about this? And also trying to have these conversations, you know, in a way that they can be successful. So setting a meeting, sitting down, really having a clear look. And if you do get any pushback saying, I understand that this is hard to look at, that this is a really real issue and here's why. And being able to really paint that full picture, I think is helpful. Mm-hmm. And for somebody who may have a lot of nerves in terms of bringing <laughs> that forward to their boss, any any guidance you can give them? I think really preparing yourself before it can be helpful, You know, setting up a meeting in advance, writing things down, And even recruiting other people in the workplace who might also be interested in tackling this issue can be helpful or recruiting other voices that have been impacted by the thing that you're talking about if it applies to them. Mm. And then maybe just giving, maybe that's the time when a pep talk is appropriate for yourself of like, you can can do this. (laughs) Something that always helps me and maybe some of my listeners have heard me give this tip before, um, and I learned this in my NLP training, is to imagine myself 15 minutes past the successful completion of a conversation. I used to do this when I would get nervous before I would speak as well. And it was so helpful. And I learned that, you know, kind of on a biological hormonal basis, 15 minutes after we complete something we were nervous about is when we release like all the calming chemicals and like all the kind of like adrenaline-like hormones start to leave our system. 
And so that might be helpful too is, okay, if I'm going to have this conversation with my boss, let me take myself 15 minutes past a successful completion, really feel into that. What does that look like? What does that feel like? And I found that that, that helps me with the, the nerves as well. Cause it can be, it can be intimidating to bring something real up to someone who's always positive because you may get shut down and that may feel really crappy because one, it's hard to do it. Two, there's vulnerability to it. And so not only do you feel dismissed, but you also kind of feel rejected. And so- It's very true. Let's say that does happen. (laughs) How do we deal with that and not form a pattern of, oh, I'm just too negative. Oh, my concerns aren't valid. Because, you know, sometimes there can be some gaslighting and toxic positivity too. So how do we, you know, recognize that that's happening and not let ourselves go into, I'm just not going to say anything anymore. We're always kind of having to pick, I think, between these two choices of like, is this something that really needs to change? Or is this something that I need to radically accept in order to stay in this situation? And so there might be times where you work with people that like you're saying, they're not going to meet you where you're at. They're not going to help you. And that it's important to externalize that and say, that's a reflection of them. They're unable to change or to accept my complaint. And I can either try harder. If this is really important to me, go to someone else, take a different approach. Or maybe this is something that in order for me to continue working here, I have to say, all right, I have to accept that this is the way that it's going to be. But that's a very fine line because I would never want people to be encouraged to accept any type of abusive or really bad behavior because something didn't go their way. And so really trying to navigate that can be tough, especially in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like find allies in the workplace that may have similar concerns and really ask yourself, like, is this the right place for me? You know, is there an environment or a culture that's more honest? Because I'm all for, well, I, well, I'd love to ask you this instead of me say it. Like, what do you think of positivity? What do I think of positivity? Yeah. yeah. I think positivity when it's genuine, when it's healthy is great. Positivity, again, is something that when used at the right time in the right place, right circumstances can be really beneficial. We see it become toxic, when, I think, when we take it too far to the extreme. Yeah. And we it gets dismissive. That's, for me, the distinguishing thing. Like, I'm all for, let's have a great work environment, let's have a great culture, but let's also keep it real, you know, and, and allow the full range of human emotions to come up. I mean, my, my husband and I just released a video on Instagram last week about how we are having some grief come up around stepping into parenthood and, and, and our relationship shifting and going from two to three and, and not just being us. And we talked about it beforehand and we're like, are we going to get a lot of pushback for this? Because we're quote unquote, supposed to be totally happy because we're so blessed to be having a baby. And that's true. We are. And there's these other feelings that are going on. Yep. And if we hadn't shared about that, we kind of would have been presenting that toxic positivity because yes, there's so much gratitude and so much excitement and that's not all. And if I pretend that that's the only thing happening, then I'm not really being authentic. So I think all of us have to, not have to, but all of us get to choose to, yes, like positivity is a great thing and we don't want to go around expecting the worst to happen and woe is me or any of those things, but also just to be real and honest about what we're 
actually feeling because as humans, we have such a range of human experiences and human emotions, and we can feel so much gratitude and grief at the same time. So letting it all be okay. Right. I completely agree. Yeah. Well, this has been so awesome. Thank you so much for being here. I'd love you to share where people can connect with you more. You have an awesome Instagram page. You offer great content. You have a book. Tell people where they can follow you, where they can get your book and anything else you want to share. You can find me on Instagram or any social media at sit with wit. And my website is sitwithwit.com. I am also the author of Toxic Positivity, which you can find on my website or anywhere books are sold. And do you still do private clients at this point or no? I do, but I've been full for a while. So right now Mm. I am not accepting anybody new. And final question for you, I think. Sometimes I say final question, then I think of another one. (laughs) But a question I get asked a lot is, what's a great way for someone to find a therapist who's a right fit? Any tips for really finding a therapist that is the right fit for you? The first thing you want to do is look for a therapist that's licensed in your state where you live. Those are the only people that you can work with. And then from there, I think it's really important just to Google people. A lot of therapists have social media now. There's some great different directories for different demographics. There's like therapy for black girls, Latinx therapists. And from there, most therapists do 15-minute free phone consults. I know that's something I've always done. And you can have a list of written questions in advance you'd like to ask them and just compare how they feel going off of personality and fit is really really important. Mm, I love that. Thank you. So everybody, you can go follow Whitney at Sit With Wit. I love that handle (laughs) and get her book, Toxic Positivity. Thank you so much for bringing voice to, I think, one of the things that's a danger in the self-help world. So thank you for voicing it and giving people permission to like be human (laughs) and feel. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. 